Romans 12, 2 is our passage for this morning where God's Word says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I am not a poem guy. However, I have a poem for you. The Road Less Traveled by Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, and leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Well, We have two paths laid out before us this morning, and really, two paths laid out before us every day and every moment. We can, first of all, allow our age or culture to squeeze us into its mold. That is one pathway laid out before us, to allow our culture or our age to squeeze us into its mold. Or secondly, we can allow God to produce a glorious transformation as we reboot our minds through rightly viewing life and eternity. We can can look at life the way that everyone else does and be formed by that, or God gives us the option to look upon life and eternity in a way much different, a way authored by Him. The context that we are in, in verse 1, we saw that it was a reasonable response to all of the mercies that we have received. It is a reasonable response for us to worship God by placing our lives in His hands. Really, by putting ourselves at His disposal. It makes sense having experienced how good God is time and time again, how He has lavished us with His love and His grace and His mercy. It only makes sense for us to say, God, I see how You care for Your people. I see how You care for Your creation. I see how You care for me. I want to just lay myself out before You and say, here I am. Do what You want. It only makes sense. Verse 2 gives us the avenue to placing ourselves, our lives, into God's transforming hands. And so as we look through this this morning, we'll begin by noting this. Don't allow the world's thinking to persuade you. Don't allow the world's thinking to persuade you. He starts verse 2 by saying, do not be conformed to this world Really, the word world is the Greek term ione, which means age. J.B. Phillips paraphrases this. He captures this with this paraphrase. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. What is this world? What is this age? Now, there's, there's a lot of ways to understand this, but I, I think that the Bible gives us enough for us to, to grapple and, and to wrestle with this, to help us to, to understand what God is teaching us about not allowing this age, this world, this culture to mold us into its form that it lays out as right and true. It's essential for us to understand that God does, does not want the world, this age, to shape us. And I think you can think of it like this. Remember Adam and Eve are in the garden And Eve is listening to the serpent. And the serpent deceptively says to Eve, he makes this statement, you will not surely die. 
God says, don't eat that. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, Satan, the serpent, was trying to convince Eve that God was withholding the very best of his gifts. The serpent was deceiving Eve. And I think we can see that kind of attitude that is portrayed on the Lord from the world around us. That God is too intolerant. That God is too restrictive. That God is not caring. That God is not loving. That God is not open and affirming. There's something wrong with that God. That's the world around us wants to, us to join them in that view. What is this age like? And I, I think the Bible gives us again some answers to that. I want you to think about this. In 1 Corinthians 2.8, the world is described or characterized, the age is characterized as those who would crucify the Lord of glory. They would crucify the Lord of glory. This happened 2,000 years ago, right? Let, let's suppose that the fullness of time were now instead of 2,000 years ago when God sent forth His Son made of a woman made under the law to redeem. What would this world do? They would have crucified the Lord of glory. That's what this age does. Further than that, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the wisdom of this age is characterized by foolishness from God's perspective. So the, the, the age, the mindset that runs counterculture, or excuse me, runs culturally against what God reveals in Scripture, God says that is foolishness. The very greatest that this world has to offer us in the form of wisdom runs contrary to Him. It's foolishness to Him. Why? Because, because the world would wants to find their own way. They want to mold their own pathway. God has laid out an opportunity. He, he, he has laid out a, a pathway. There is one way, one truth, one life. Who is that one? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through or by me. God has laid this out before the world. And yet, there are so many other agendas. Foolishness. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, this age has a small g God trying to rule over it, and trying to cast blindness on people toward God's glorious gospel. And so God has laid out a pathway. God has sent forth His Son. His Son is gloriously wonderful and pure and true and holy. He laid down His life as a once-for-all sacrifice for sin. God holds Him up. And if I be lifted up, I will do what? Draw all men unto me. And yet Satan, in his opposition, is trying to blind men's eyes. He is the small g God of this world. It runs in opposition to the Lord. And in Galatians 1.4, the Bible tells us that God sent His Son to deliver us from this present evil age. To deliver us from this present evil age. And so God gives us some ideas about how this age tries to form us and mold us and change us in one direction. And it's contrary to the things of the Lord. And so God warns us. He warns us through the Apostle John that this world is passing away with all of its treasures, all of its lusts, all of its glories. This world is passing away. James tells us that friendship with the world places us in opposition, in the wrong place, with regard to God. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. So God is warning us again and again that this world wants to shape us and mold us and change us outside of the way that God has instructed us to be. And, and why does God warn us about all of this? This age will point you and it will point me away from God and it will encourage us to 
the indulgences that arise from within us. And the Bible tells us through Peter that these indulgences that, that we sense within us, they wage war against our soul. They wage war against us. And so, is, is God simply trying to keep us from the world because He doesn't want us to enjoy things? Well, that would run contrary to so many other passages of Scripture. What God is doing is He's protecting us from those things that destroy us, harm us, and mold us in a direction that will ultimately uh, bring us to an end of, of joy. Um, real treasure, real Joy is found in Christ alone. Solomon makes no um, shortage of communicating that in various ways through the book of Ecclesiastes. Yeah, go, eat, enjoy. Go, work, enjoy your labor. Go, learn this. It's all fine. Um, but if that's the end, if that's what you're looking for, if those are the things that are your treasure, what you'll find is you'll go to take a bite and there'll be nothing there. It's an air burger. There's nothing, no substance to those things. However, when God is our treasure and He fills us with joy and He's filling that eternity that's within our hearts, when we go and do something with God as our treasure, we will enjoy taking a bite of whatever this thing is. We will enjoy this learning endeavor. We will enjoy our spouse. We will enjoy our friends. All kinds of joys come when Christ is rightly in our, uh, set as our, as our treasure. God's directives are for our good, for our protection. God wants to help us to keep from warring against our soul and hurting ourselves. Paul gives a really good illustration of this when he writes to Timothy. Now, this will be on the screen. I want to take just a moment to just Slowly read through it, but I want you to be thinking. And I want you to think about the contrasts that God, through Paul, makes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Listen to these words. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And I really like the King James reading of that. Pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So, is God telling us that money is evil in this passage? No. Is He telling us that having money is wrong? No. Is He telling us that it's wrong to go and earn money? No. Save money? No. Spend money? No. Share money? No. He doesn't say anything like that. What He says is, when you are desiring, you have this lust, this craving to, to, to have so much money, this, this treasure, you want this, this amount of money, I have this desire to be rich, and not only that, I have this love, this fetish of money. It's a root of all kinds of evil. Now, why do people want all this money? What are they looking for? They're looking for it to be satisfying. They want to buy this and that and the other. They want to take care of their future. They want to be able to take vacations. They want to be able to enjoy good food. They want to be able to enjoy good clothing, good cars, good houses, all of these things. They, they want to have some satisfaction out of this money. That's why they like it. And what God says is, if that money is your desire, if that love, if money is the love of your heart, you'll get all those things. And instead of joy and happiness and peace, what you'll have is harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That's at the end of verse 9. And then at the end of verse 10, a wandering away from the faith, because now I'm, I have another thing that I'm trusting in. And instead of joy, I am pierced through with many sorrows. One time I, I illustrated this. I had my little, little dagger, a Makaira, and I had an orange. 
and I plunged that little machaira, that dagger, right through the orange to illustrate the fact that it's, it's pierced from one side to the other. A life, instead of filled with joy because I have all this money mounted up, filled with absolute sorrow, the absolute opposite. God warns us, if money is your treasure, it will betray you. Solomon says you try to put it in, a, in your pocket and it falls through. There's holes in there. <laughs> or he illustrates it with, with a, the eagle taking it away. But even if you can hold on to it, that thing, that money, it, it, will, it, will, it will provide you with some, some little dainties, little pleasures, but it will never satisfy your heart. It will never satisfy your soul. And so God warns us constantly God's directives are for our good, for our protection. You know, what are some of the symptoms of being molded by our age? You know, this is such a broad question, so I just want to bring a few things, some of which maybe your minds will, will uh, go run down a road with. You think about it. Um, what are some of the symptoms of being molded by our age? So here's a couple of symptoms. Hate and division. Selfishness. Lust. Jealousy, seeking what brings me the most gain, regardless of the cost to others. So, I'll illustrate just one of those. Again, you, you, I don't know what things bring your mind away, okay? So, I, I can only just illustrate just to try to help us process what the possible symptoms of the being molded into this age so here's, a, here's an illustration of some of the hate and division that we've seen in our world over these last couple of years. You know, it's so easy to cancel someone simply because they view life differently than you. you know, you're a mask guy and a, and a vax guy. Oh, you're anti-mask and anti-vax and anti-science. You've heard all this stuff. You've seen it maybe on your social media You've seen it in the news. Maybe you've heard someone say it to you. I hope you haven't said those things to someone else. Maybe you have, and maybe you ought to recognize that that is part of this molding us into the world's image. We're just constantly confronting one another about things that are trivial, things that don't save. Wearing a mask doesn't save you. Not wearing a mask doesn't save you. Taking a vaccine doesn't save you. Not taking a vaccine doesn't save you. These are not the things that save. There is one who saves. God. He alone saves. That's where our focus should be. And yet, we get sidetracked with these other issues. And they tend to bring forth within people, within our society, hatred and division when we fall into these traps we do not love our neighbor as ourselves and we're falling in line with the mindset of our age the mindset of our age we will tolerate you we're, we're a society of tolerance ready we will tolerate you so long as you agree with us when you don't agree with us we no longer tolerate you. And that is the definition of what, friends? Intolerance. But this is the world we live in. And what we can't have is that molding us. We're a different people. Why, because we're special? No, God, God is special. And he's changing us. And he doesn't want us to fall prey to these foolish ways of life. All of these elements of our age, division, selfishness, lust, jealousy, they're characteristics of the old life. A little later on, you can take a look at Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. I'd encourage you to do that. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. Look at it later on. These are characteristics of the old life. It's the way of the, the Gentiles, those that don't know the Lord. Their consciences are seared, etc., etc. But none of these things help us. Being molded by our society will not give us our best life now. And it won't give us our best life in the future. It can't. It won't. The way our world molds people is paving the way for their destruction. It's a sad reality. 
But God has an alternate option for us. Two paths. One, be molded by the mindset of this age. Another, be molded and transformed by God Himself. And all of this that we're about to talk about is all based upon the work that God has already done. He's already brought, brought this, this work to completion in His Son, and He makes the application in our lives in the course of our lives, and then ultimately He promises to bring it to fruition at the, the final day. God, God makes these promises, and we can be assured of them. And so secondly in our discussion this morning, our study and our worship of God is allow God to transform you. Allow God to transform you. The second part of verse 2, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Here's a little language words for you. I know you love these. But the word transformed, be transformed, is a present tense. Okay, that's easy. Continual action. It is a passive voice. That means someone else is doing this. It's something that's coming from the outside. When an active voice is used, that means I'm hitting something. When a passive voice is used, I'm being hit by something. Everyone's favorite thing. Have something hit them. Be, be hit, okay? Passive voice. Present, regular, keep continuous. Passive, it's happening to me. And it's an imperative, which means it's a command. What is this pa present passive imperative? It is God is to be the one who is transforming us continually. We need to place ourselves in a position that we are being metamorphized. Metamorpho is the Greek term. The idea is to be transformed. It's, it, the, the immediate concept or illustration that comes to mind is the caterpillar. Goes in, he's you know, crawling around, eating his little milk leaves or whatever they're called, and eventually he forms the chrysalis. And like, you think, oh, man, that's weird. There's a, there's a caterpillar and it's surrounded by some kind of an, like an encasement. And, and you know what happens over time. Eventually, it breaks out. And man, that thing looks a lot different when it comes out. It has wings. Caterpillars are not the you know, most pretty things. Anyone disagree? They're like little bugs, right? Little insects. They're not very pretty. Anyone think a butterfly is not at least interesting? Butterflies are beautiful for most people's uh, vantage point. And they sprout these wings and they're flying all over and they have little spots and all this stuff. Great. Transformation takes place. Did the did the caterpillar do it? No, this is God's work. God transforms things. And it's the same thing that's going on inside of the believer who yields himself to the Lord. God does this work of transformation. Now the word metamorpho is used two times in the Gospels in great passages. In Matthew chapter 17 and verse 2 and in Mark chapter 9 and verse 2, it is used in reference to Jesus being transfigured in the sight of Peter, James, and John. And in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew writes that Jesus' face shone like the sun. He was Jesus. He is flesh. Human. Fully God and fully man. But when they saw Him, they saw His humanity. right? They saw His body. And so they see Him in that form. And then this transformation takes place. And His face is shining like the sun. Well, that's different. And in Mark's Gospel, he said, and Jesus' clothes were, were shining so, so white, they were whiter than any launderer on earth could launder them. It, it's, that's like magnificent. He's shining. What is this about? God did this work of transformation in the sight of the disciples. They got to see a glimpse of who Jesus really is. Jesus' real glory. This concept is intense. And the reality is, and, and you know, there's disagreement about how, how to differentiate between conformed at the beginning of verse 
to and transformed in the middle of verse 2. There's, there's disagreement. You know, historically, people viewed confirmation as that which is outside, putting on the clothing of the world, and transformation, that which is inside, taking on the, the attitude of the Lord, essentially. But really, if you just think about it, we're talking about letting the outside world impact who we are, or letting who God has made us in truth to be demonstrated outside of us. Transformation. It comes from the inside out. Be who God has really made you to be. As a believer in Jesus Christ, he has declared you to be righteous. He says, this is a fact. This is the records in heaven. You are righteous. The records in heaven. You are holy. This is who you are when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Transformation is letting who you are be demonstrated outside. Similar to what Paul says in the book of Philippians chapter 2. He says in verse 12, uh, work out, work to the outside, your salvation with meekness and trembling or meekness and fear. Why? For it's God who works in you both to will, that's a desire, and to do of his good pleasure. Transformation. But remember, here we're talking about something that's passive. This is something that I can't do on my own. I am dependent on another to bring this transformation that is being spoken of. It's not like I can say, okay, I have my list. Today, I will make sure I say good things only to my family. And today, I will only eat the right things, and that will be good. And today, I will make sure I read my Bible, and that will make me holy. And today, I'll make sure that I pray seven times, and that will make me holy. Does that work? External forms making us spiritual? No. Does that mean that God doesn't use those things? He does. He uses, he uses the Word to transform us. He uses the Spirit to transform us. He uses prayer to transform us. He uses each other, you know, our, our ministry to one another to transform us. He uses struggles and trials to transform us. Am I going to automatically, just because I'm a Christian, walking about my merry way, careless of anything else, am I going to automatically become spiritual? Well, I, I guess you just look around. Look around at what happens when someone you know, professes faith in Christ and they don't read their Bible and they don't pray and they don't meet with God's people. What, what's happening in them? Do you see the evidences of God's working? Not, not usually. Usually there's, there's like a lot of something else that's going on there. So God utilizes all these things. But remember, always remember this. It's his work. Only he can make us holy. Only he can make us righteous. Only he can make us saved and growing. But, but this passage is telling me to do something. What is it telling me to do? Come underneath his authority. Come underneath. Be transformed by him. So I think we can hear it pretty beautifully in Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 through 30. Let's take a look there please. Matthew chapter 11. What is God asking us to do? Present ourselves to him. Lay ourselves out before him. If I will come underneath his authority, if I will, if I will recognize him for who he is, if I will love him the way he deserves to be loved, if I will worship him the way he ought to be worshipped, if I'll come underneath his authority... God will do this work of transforming me. And Jesus makes it very clear, I think, in Matthew 11. Look at verses 28 and following. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What is he asking us to do? Come. Come here. Come here. I have a yoke. I've got mine. Let me put it over you. You come here. Come underneath my authority. We'll be yoked together. 
Which one of us is strong? From the vantage point of this Jesus or me coming to him? Not me, it's him. I'm going to be yoked with the strong one. Why is this restful? Because he provides the strength. He's unfailing in his activities because he is God. Come to me. I'll give you rest. Does that mean everything will be restful? No. It means he's going to provide what's needed. I come underneath him. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You will find rest for your souls. Oh, what do you mean your souls? Take a, take a second. Admit it. There's some form of anxiety within you about something. Am I going to make it? Am I good enough? Will he or she love me? Will he or she forsake me, turn from me? Will, 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 my, will my teacher pass, my, you know, pass me in, on this test? You know, whatever, the, whatever your anxiety is, will I have enough for retirement when I get there? We all have some form of anxiety within us. What is Jesus giving us rest from? I, I, I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Well, what does that mean? It means I've entrusted my very soul, my eternal soul to him. I don't have to fear what comes next. If I have entrusted my eternal soul to God, can I not entrust myself to Him today? Can I not entrust my job situation, my relationship issue? Can I not trust Him to deal with this? If He's dealt with the greatest problem I really have, which is my sin, my salvation, and my need for Him, He's satisfied all of those things. He's removed the anxieties of my soul. I can rest in Him. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God is perfectly prepared to transform you. God is perfectly prepared to transform you. So the question is, back in our text, how will God transform us? Because the text answers this. How will God transform us? And he says it's by the renewal of your mind. By the renewal of your mind. Thomas Schreiner made these statements. I think they're helpful to us. In accord with the Jewish view of the two ages. The present age is evil. And the age to come is blessed. Transformation by the renewal of the mind then involves the penetration of the coming age, the blessed state, into the present evil age. Believers resist the pressure to conform to the present evil age by the renewal of their minds. In other words, I'm looking around and there's whatever problem before me, whatever this challenge is, whatever the, the world is throwing at me, and quite frankly, whatever my own soul is throwing at me. And I compare that and I say, yeah, this is not what I'm here for. This is, this is not it. This is not satisfying. And so we recognize, look at what's coming. Or better stated, look at who is coming. Who is coming? What is he like? What will that be like? What will it be like to be in his presence? forever and that invasion of that coming age into this present age transforms the way we view our lives now this takes place through the spirit right um, in in titus chapter 3 i'm going to turn there if you catch up with me uh, great if not i'm going to read it titus chapter 3 and verse 5 god's word tells us 
I'll start in verse 4. You can catch up to me. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. How? By the washing of regeneration, that's life, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The renewal of the Holy Spirit. In other words, God is letting us know that that in, in conjunction with God giving us spiritual life, His Spirit gives us a new way of viewing life. God's Spirit gives us a new way of viewing life. This is also affirmed in Colossians. If you'll take a look there, Colossians chapter 3. Start looking at verse 8 of Colossians 3. Where God's Word says, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. And so God is telling us that there's this process going on inside of us right now where our mind is being renewed to think differently. It's so easy to be stuck in the ways that we've always thought. To view people through our own selfish ambitions. To view life the way that we always have. And God says there's another way. There's a way that I can renew your mind so you can view this in light of much greater things. He's changing our hearts and our minds as we look at the Scriptures. And the Bible tells us that this takes place and it should take place day by day. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. How is my inner self being renewed? I want you to think of it in terms of being rebooted. You have one of these? Yes. You either love it, you hate it, or probably maybe even both. Sometimes you're doing your thing, whatever it is, and it starts to malfunction a little bit. Like you can't shut off a phone call, or you're stuck in a program and it's frozen. You're like, man, this thing, I don't get it. It's broken. What's... What's the first thing you do? If you know anything about electronics, electronics sometimes just glitches. So what you do is you reboot it. You hold down the power button and the up volume if you have one of those fancy Apple devices. Hold it down and eventually the thing shuts off and you see the little Apple will appear again and you go back and it's like, oh, it's working now, fine. Sometimes you get stuck even different than that. You've got to do some other combination of buttons. Whatever the case may be, you reboot it and then it functions properly again. That's kind of the idea. We're kind of stuck in this old way in our normal natural condition, and the way that we think and process and live and speak, it's broken. And we need a reboot, but it's not so simple as pressing some buttons, right? God needs to do this rebooting. But what, how do we access it? This is where he's going to refresh your mind, right? Because it's so easy to, to, to act in accordance with what we see with our eyes and hear with our ears and smell with our mouths, right? We, we sense with our hands. But here we have a whole different view. God changes us because we're seeing how he has orchestrated and ordained things to be. And the right ways that he has laid out before us. Take a look, please, at one more passage about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Resetting our attention away from our frustrations, anxieties, and confusion takes place as we remember the goodness and grace of God found in his word. And it has that kind of impact of resetting us, rebooting us, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we have this passage that gives us encouragement toward, again, 
placing ourselves at the disposal of the Lord so this renewal and transformation can take place. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verses 16 through 18. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed, that which hides is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. We have another pass, a passive, right? It's happening to us. And we have another present tense. It's continuously happening to us. We are being transformed into the same image. Well, what's the same image? Who are we beholding? The glory of the Lord. We're being transformed into the same glorious image of the Lord from one degree of glory to another. How does this come? This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So God is changing us into His glorious image by His Spirit in light of His Word. How do I access it? Here I am, Lord. Therefore, right? He starts the the section, "I, I appeal to you, therefore, my brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or a rational worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He's giving us uh, clarity. We, we don't want the world to perform its work on us, but rather we want to allow God to fashion us in His likeness and how does, it, how does he tell us this is going to happen? He says that by testing, you may discern the will of God. That's what he says back in our passage in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. The, the, the Greek term for testing is dakimadzo. It's a good word. Sounds, sounds like uh, kung fu. Dakimadzo. I'm ready. It's to test, to try to scrutinize, to examine. This word is used 23 times in the New Testament, which is not an insignificant amount of uses. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 28, this word is used to describe how unbelievers find God not to pass the test. They don't see God as passing the test. They don't see fit to acknowledge God. You see that? That same word, dakimadzo. We, we, we test in order to discern what is the will of God. And it's used in Romans 1.28 to say, God doesn't pass the test. I'm not going to worship Him. In 1 Corinthians 11.28, Christians are instructed to examine themselves in their participation of the Lord's Supper. Examine yourself. Scrutinize. Look. Look in. In Ephesians 5, verse 10, God tells us to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Think about this. What pathway will please the Lord? He he tells us to do this. So I think, all right. Well, I know the old way, but there's a different way. There's a different way to live. In light of God's glory. In light of God's grace. He's given me instruction And he hasn't just prescribed something. Everything he prescribes, he supplies. This is called God's grace. God is able to supply what I need in order to figure out what brings him glory and pleasure. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 10, he says this, so that you may approve, that's that word dakimanzo again, you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now I forgot to give you the, the heading for what this section is. We, we talked about the fact that we're not going to allow the world to persuade our thinking, right? And, and we, we want to allow God to transform us. As we look at this, just for another moment, we want to bring our thinking in line with God's Word. How do we test things? What is the standard, of me- or, standard or measuring stick? We only have one source to figure out what God wants. It's not like I can go sit on a mountain somewhere and meditate for a half hour and figure, all right, I I now know what the Lord wants for me because I have meditated upon 
the stars. I've meditated upon this scenery. The leaves are beautiful, and now I know what God wants me to do. No, we've got one source to figure this out. It's His Word. His Word guides our thinking, it guides our faith, and it guides our practices. We have God's Word to reveal His character, purposes, and plans, His redemption. We have His Word that reveals our weaknesses, our needs, and our brokenness. As we look at God's Word, we know it's God's truth. God's truth is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. He illuminates the pathway. It makes simple people like you and me wise. Psalm 19 tells us about that. It reveals what is excellent, pure, and helpful. It's through God's Word that we learn to take our own thoughts captive. Right? 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, we take our thoughts captive to see, are these things in alignment with what I see about God? What I see about Jesus Christ? Is my, is my way following in a way that is reflective of Him? God's will is revealed in His Word. And it is by the renewing of our minds through the Word of God that God transforms our perspective from Romans 1.28, that is, they did not see fit to acknowledge God and transforms it to a Romans 12.1 thinking, which is, here I am, God. I'm presenting myself before you. You're, you have convinced me. You've convinced me as I look at who you are and you've revealed who I am. I recognize I am only going to produce pain and turmoil and sin in an affront to you and you will produce what's right and good and holy. I would rather have you direct my steps than me. We test these things and we, we find out that God's way is best. All of this transformation or, uh, that comes from God turns into something that is, he says at the end of verse 2 in, in our passage, something that is good and acceptable, ready for this one? And perfect. God's will is always good. It's always pleasing. And it's always perfect. God's ways are higher than our ways, right? God's way is right. And so we, we, we believe this. We can have so much confidence we can have so much confidence. You can. Do you know this? You can have confidence in, in the Lord's ability to do this. When we're placing ourselves in God's fatherly, sovereign care, we know that He will produce great fruitfulness. All He does is good and right. Think about just, I'm just going to mention a few verses for your consideration as we come to our conclusion. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, and we, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will perform it. He'll continue to perform it. He'll bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Listen carefully to this. Now, may the God of peace, what does the next word say? Himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you read verse 24 with me? He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Can you have confidence in the Lord's ability to do this? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Have you, have you realized you're a sinner and, and your sin was facing you away from the Lord and was going to result in condemnation? Do you, you realize that you turn from your sin? I don't want that. I need you. You've seen that Jesus Christ laid His life down to, to bear your sin debt, to bear the guilt of your sin, to bear the condemnation for your sin. He stood in your place to take away your sin forever. 
and to provide for you eternal righteousness. Have you turned from your sin and turned to Christ? If that's the case, you can have the utmost confidence that God will complete what He has started. He will surely do it, according to Philippians 1.6. And this passage says, God Himself will sanctify you. He'll get this job done. He who has called you is what? Faithful. He will surely do it. We can have the utmost confidence that God will transform us. Bring yourself underneath Him. Place yourself in His care. It's worth doing. Here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, not might, will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body what's what's it based on by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself that's the power that god uses to change me do i have to worry about whether he's going to do his part whether he's going to do his job who's it dependent on him what do i do lord i'm yours lord i'm yours look in the word Be around other people. Let them help you to point you to Him. If they're pointing you to something else, say, yeah, thanks. Thanks very much. I want to hear what God has to say. I want to know how God deals with this. I want to know who God is and what God is like. There are times in life that we come to crossroads. Will I apply for a new position? Will I apply at that college program? Will I marry this person? Is it time to retire? Some of you are at some of these crossroads. When it comes to being conformed to our current age or being transformed by God, we are perpetually at this intersection. Moment by moment, here I am at this intersection. Which direction? What's going to happen? What's the right thing? By God's grace, God, in those moments, gives us a will. A will to follow Him. We need God to control our thinking on the roads. We need God to control our thinking when we're dealing with our coworkers, our customers or clients. Listen, we need God to control our thinking when we're walking into our homes. Don't go in there unprepared. Guys, don't walk into your house unprepared. Don't go in there alone. Don't go in there with your own resources because you will go in there and you will wreak havoc. But God, He can transform our minds. He can renew our minds. We can enter into that place as a servant. We can enter into that place as a lover of souls as someone who tenderly cares for the souls in his home. We can do this by God's grace. He is able to transform us and prepare us. Don't go alone. If we go into these places with the mindset of our world, we'll have similar results as we see in our society. However, if we allow God to refocus our minds, we will display his glorious grace And this is a sacrifice that is acceptable, pleasing, and perfect to the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we we all have our different needs and how we're thinking through and processing this. You know exactly what we need. And so I now, we now, commit ourselves to you to process this in the most fruitful manner possible that we would be conformed to the image of our savior and your son for your glory in jesus name amen